Welcome to this episode of We Believe You, advocacy, resources, and healing around interpersonal trauma. I'm Casey. And I'm Jessica. And I'm Marie. By now you've listened to some explanations from Jessica and Victoria about reporting both to law enforcement and to the university. You are able to hear from people who do this work within those systems and how they approach their job. This episode will be dedicated in its entirety to survivors' experiences of reporting. In a minute, we will turn to hearing about these ups and downs of what reporting can actually feel like. Remember, each survivor's experience is different and unique. So what you are hearing in this episode are these individual stories. If you're thinking about reporting, the issues discussed here are just some of the things you might want to consider, but it doesn't mean that your experience will be better or worse than what these individuals will describe. So without further ado, let's hear from the folks joining me in the studio today. Let's get started by having you each tell us a little bit about yourself and some of your salient identities. Uh, my name is Whitney. I'm a white cis queer woman. I recently graduated in May, and now I'm looking for another job. <laughs> uh, hey, my name is Teresa. Um, I'm studying soil science and getting a minor in microbiology, and I love soil and plants, and so, yeah. Um, and my name is Kimberly. Um, I'm a white, cisgender, queer woman. Um, I was raised in, um, I was born and raised in Southern Africa, um, so I'm a third culture kid as well. So I guess we'll start just with the first question is, can you tell the listeners a little bit about which process you were involved in, whether it was law enforcement, university reporting, both, or something totally else? I was involved in both um, reporting to law enforcement as well as reporting to the university, um, CSU. I just reported to law enforcement. Um, I just as well just reported to law enforcement. Were, for those who reported to law enforcement, is that in Fort Collins or where, what kind of municipality were you reporting to? You don't have to tell the exact location, but like a big city, rural, in Colorado, not? Uh, mine was in Boulder. Uh, mine one was in Massachusetts. And mine was here in Fort Collins. Was the process of reporting initiated by you or someone else, and did you choose to participate in that process? For me, the next morning, I remember, like, waking up and realizing what had happened, and there was, like, part of me that wanted to report and another part of me that really, really, really did not want to at all. Um, but I was with all my roommates, and basically it came down to the fact that I felt like he had done this to other people, too, and didn't want other people to be hurt by him as well. So um, that was, like, the number one reason that made me report. And I did, like, choose to participate in the process. Um, actually, the Uber driver that drove me home that morning um, kind of influenced me to do it. I might have done it anyways, but he uh, just was really caring and wanted to make sure that it couldn't happen to other women. So... He was a big part of me reporting, and then my mom actually called the police for me, too, so it was really nice to have her support there. Um, I was a minor, so um, I was sexually abused by my grandfather for seven years um, as a child, and so um, I reported to a therapist, and because of mandated reporting laws, um, they had to report it to um, go through all the steps of that, and so... 
it wasn't necessarily initiated by me, but I did choose to participate in the process in order to protect other family members. Can you give us a little insight about what that process was like for you? How did how do you feel it worked? Do you feel it didn't work? Just kind of what would you like people to know about the reporting process? Um, so when I reported, it was university reporting and then like reporting to law enforcement kind of simultaneously. And one of the things that a lot of folks will warn you about is just telling your story over and over and over again. And that's definitely something that's very true. Um, it's a very scary process. Um, for the university process was like so much easier than law enforcement process. And I did report at a time before Betsy DeVos was trying to fuck everything up. Um, but that was basically, there's a lot of like sitting in rooms and going over everything that happened to your body, like really intimate things that happened to your body with different strangers over and over again. Um, and I'll let other people talk before I go any more, like more into depth in it. Honestly, <clears throat> it was one of the hardest things I've ever had to do, and um, I just felt like I felt like they were treating me like I was the criminal, and I felt like they were. I felt like they just didn't care about me and didn't want to keep me safe, and I've just never felt so like disrespected as a person and. I, it was, uh, I just, I wish I could say something better about it, but honestly, I, they made me feel like I don't deserve to be safe. They made me feel like what happened to me was okay. They made it seem like it didn't matter. They, like, they say that it's illegal, but then when you report it, it's like they don't care to do anything about it. Like, they refused to take evidence that I told them about. They called me a liar. They tried to blame it on other people. They just, the whole thing was just crazy. I can't, I still can't believe it to this day. I, um, they told me that if I don't stop lying, that I would be arrested. And then eventually they arrested me instead saying that I committed third degree assault because I admitted to defending myself. And you don't know what it's like to like call someone for help thinking that they're going to help you and then they turn the story around and make you the criminal and uh, there was just no basis for it they had to let me go eventually because it was just ridiculous and another detective finally saw my case and took over and took evidence but that was after I went to jail after calling someone for help that I thought was going to help me and I've just never felt so disappointed and disgusted by the whole system. So I hate to say that, but that was my experience. Um, yeah, I think disclosing and then going through a reporting process and then eventually going to a trial, um, I think was an extremely difficult thing I had to go through in my life. Um, I think you know, standing up to the patriarch of, like, my family and, you know, standing up to my grandfather um, was a very, very difficult thing to do. And I think stripping um, yourself, like, kind of bare um, in front of a, like, and saying the most, like, horrendous and, like, sadistic things that have ever been done to you, like, in front of a room full of strangers um, 
and seeing your family leave you um, and abandon you um, and protect your perpetrator um, all while your stand all while his knees are resting against like the witness stand um, I think was one of the hardest things I've ever had to do um, it really sucked <laughs> My, I like first reported on my 21st birthday, which was in 2016, September 30th. Um, and my case has been pushed back like at least five times now. I've lost like track however many times, but it, it won't be until February 11th. And I, most of the times either figured out two weeks before or a few days before. And then that was always just like, felt like a bullet to the chest, like, because the emotional like suffering that you have to go through to be prepared and to be like reliving these things all the time so that you remember them so that you can say them like when it does come down to trial in order to prove yourself because like the automatic assumption is that everyone's going to think that you're lying is really horrible and you like prep yourself for so long and then it's like nope it won't be here for another six months nope it's going to be here like next year instead and so I don't know in the end of it or I got to the point a lot of times where I was like, I wish I just never had reported because if I didn't have, then I could have thought, like, tried to get over this and, like, at least push it back into my mind, if anything else, like, instead of just having to think about it all the time and having to, like, because who remembers, like, a drunken night from two and a half years ago? Hardly anybody, but it's, like, one of the worst nights of my life, and it's something that I have to remember all the time. I also had a similar experience like that. Uh, it actually took like two years to finally go to trial after I reported it. And it was like every couple of months they said, okay, we're going to go to trial. And then they just kept doing, it was like 10 arraignments. It's just a ridiculous process. They shouldn't put people through this. And it was just the most difficult thing when you think it's finally going to be over. And then they keep pushing it back over and over again. You think it's finally going to be over. And then uh, it just feels so disrespectful that whole system really needs to change um so I reported to um my therapist and then we went through the whole process of um getting a trial date and it took two years as well for me to get a date um because my grandfather kept like using every kind of excuse in the book to push it back and I think a lot of perpetrators do if if they don't if they're not put in jail if they can pay the bail or if bail is never set like in my case like there was no like such thing as bail <laughs> um then they can push it back as long as they need to like they they can really work the system to their advantage and you know the system I think is actually really built for them in some ways um and it is like it's a deeply painful process to continue to have to relive it and continue to have to all these things and like I think for me what was especially difficult about it was like being abused for seven years starting at like six years old like you can't remember all of those like all the details like a court wants you to remember like they want you to remember exact amount of times you were raped like exact amount of like experiences you had like was it sunny was it you know like just stupid questions that you're just never going to remember like trauma doesn't work that way but then on top of it when you're being raped multiple times in like a single like moment or like a single day or a single week or like even a single month like it's really hard to distinguish those moments from each other um, and they want you to do that. So it's just kind of an unrealistic expect expectation. And they make you wait years for it to happen. So it just like, I think it just really feels like it benefits the perpetrator a lot. I think that like the first day of reporting too is something that still sticks out for me because it took 
literally all day. Um, we had tried to like go to the police station and, um, even though I kind of knew what to do in these situations, like when it actually happened, I totally forgot everything. And, um, the police station was closed, so couldn't go there. I wanted to like shower, but not supposed to do that. Um, so it was just like feeling dirty all day long and then waiting in a hospital for a really long time. And like having just gone through your body being violated in a lot of different ways, having to like be naked underneath like fluorescent bright lights. Um, like the SANE exam was something that made it really real for me at first because there was like a lot of stuff that had happened to my body that I didn't even know about. And there were like bruises and everything else that came with that. Um, so that's like the first time that it felt real to me too. And that I was like, oh my God, I actually am reporting. And then right after that, we had like forensic folks come and take evidence from the house and there's a big truck outside. My perpetrator lived like right next door. And so it was just really scary time for me and my roommates. And they had taken like my clothes and my bedding that was made by my grandma and just like uh, another group of people coming into my house and taking these things away from me too. It's definitely like re-traumatizing. I'm hearing that it's really hard. The whole process was hard. Like every piece about it, from the scene exam to telling your story over and over to being in the courtroom with your perpetrator. If you had the chance to go back and make a different decision, do you think you would make a different decision? Um, I don't know if I would make a different decision. Um, I think... I would have wanted a different perspective on it. Um, I think, I think I had like this sense that, that justice like should be served a little bit. Um, I think I had this really big belief that, um, I had gone through so much for like a purpose and maybe that purpose was to stop like generational violence in my family. Um, and, you know, I, like, I wasn't the only one abused in my family, but I was the only one to step forward. Um, and I was the only one to stop it. So I think for that, I'm always grateful because I think I did protect family members in doing so. Um, but I think I wish I had a different perspective on it because I think I went in hoping for justice and knowing, knowing now what I know is that I'll probably never get that. Um, like, my grandfather was found not guilty. Um, and I think most people I've met like myself haven't found justice through like the like quote unquote, like justice system. Like, um, and so I think it's not necessarily that I would do it different. I just wish it was different. And, um, I, I wish I had gone in expecting a different outcome because I think I really did hope um, when like that jury was deliberating for four and a half hours, I really hoped that my grandfather would be put away. But then hearing like, not guilty, not guilty, not guilty, not guilty, like over and over again from the jurors, like really crushed my soul. Even though I felt like the police didn't really care about me when I reported, I still feel like I would report it, but I would do things differently. I would definitely record the whole conversation, the whole process um i really feel like the police officer would have acted differently if um he knew he was being recorded uh, i would have gotten a real lawyer i 
wouldn't have trusted them, honestly. I would have done everything I can to make sure that they can't switch around my story or I I would still report it and I still think people should report, but I feel like we should just be cautious and honestly I was um I read this um uh there was a study, I forget where it was, but it was about forty percent of police officers have a history of domestic violence and you gotta think like if these people are hurting their families and hurting other people that they love, like why would they care if you're hurt? I feel like rapists aren't going to prosecute other rapists. If they're doing something similar to their family or whoever, it's like you can't really think that they're going to help you. So I really just think the whole system needs um, updating and we really need to have better, um, uh, better, um, Police officers need to be trained better in this or just other people should be handling it if they don't want to care about this kind of thing. So, um, yeah, I just think the whole system kind of needs updated. Yeah, I agree with you, Teresa. And I think what Kimberly was saying earlier, too, it seems as if the system is built in order to more protect perpetrators than it is to like protect the people who are victims. In situations like this, um, I do think that I would, if I had the chance to report again, I probably still would have. Um, and hopefully I'll still think that in February when I like figure out what the end of the trial is. What advice do you all have to people who are contemplating whether or not they should report or not? What are some of the things that you think they should think about? What are some of the expectations that you think they, they should have set? And how do you want to support them? I think that, like, understanding why you're reporting is really important because most of the time it's not going to be justice or, like, whatever that word means to you. Most of the time it's going to be perpetrators getting away free. Um, so if you're reporting for that, it might not work. Like, uh, that might not be the... Um, result that you see but if you like you're reporting for yourself or reporting to hopefully protect other people in the future then that's something else too it just like it is i don't know just understanding why you're reporting basically yeah i really like that um i feel like it's important to be in the mindset that even if things don't work out like i still feel like i changed something i still feel like just going through all that changed something in me and it changed something in hopefully the system in the future. I feel like it things might not work out when you report. It's going to be a long and drawn out whole ordeal. It's going to be really stressful. It's going to be really hard on you. But the way I thought about it is like I could be potentially making a better world for my future daughter or making the world safer for other women, even if it doesn't work out just reporting it uh, it just like set a fire in my heart to make sure that things change and make sure that people don't have to do deal with the things that I did I really feel like everything kind of happens for a reason I feel like this happened to me because uh the universe or whatever knew that I was strong enough to deal with it and knew that I would be able to create some kind of change even if it's the smallest little thing so I really think that you should report and not be too attached to the outcome, but just know that 
you're doing something good, even if it doesn't seem like it at first. I think um, I live with my trauma every day. Um, and I also separately and connected live with my trial every day. Um, and I think the biggest thing is if you want to report, um, I think you really need to like start putting things in place on how you're going to handle it afterwards. Because I think the there is a level of trauma that comes with reporting and there is a level of trauma that comes with going through a trial that I think it hits people like a truck and it hit, it hit me like a truck. Um, and you know, I, I, I relive my trial all the time and what I could have done differently and what I should have done differently or what I should have said or what I wish happened or how I wish I had actually like decked my uncle, (laughs) like, you know, like just like things like that. And, um, I think you have to understand that if you're going to go through with this, it is going to be traumatizing and you need to know how you're going to deal with it afterwards. Um, And that's not to say that you shouldn't do it, because I think as survivors, we're a lot more resilient than people ever give us credit for. Um, But just to know that it it will stick with you um, for a long time afterwards. And so put things in place um, to make sure that you can still live your life after this in the way that you want. You know, this isn't one of the questions that I originally intended to ask you all. So if you don't want to answer it, that's fine. But I'm hearing just how hard this whole process is. Do you, any of you want to talk about who were the people in your life who were supporting you through the process? And what did that support mean to you as you were going through it? Um, I think I have like a, like it's kind of two sides of it is like my my parents really stepped up like um both my mom and dad really really like stepped up and my dad particularly like my dad turned on his entire family for me like he picked me um and I think I will always like honor and cherish that because it takes a lot um to turn your back on your entire family um and try to protect your daughter Um, but I also, I have a little level of pain with that because I do feel somehow like somehow responsible for that. Um, and I think I've had to really work through, um, that they chose their side. Um, and my dad didn't lose anyone worth fighting for. Um, but, um, both of my parents were extremely, extremely, um, supportive and they really had my back. Um, and it's something I'll always be eternally grateful for, but it is also embarrassing them having to hear everything (laughs) but yeah um I had a lot of support from my mom and my sister and I feel like I can't even imagine going through this without their help and support and um eventually I um once the me too movement kind of started and people started to talk about it more I started to talk about it more openly on social media and Facebook and Instagram and stuff. And I feel like that was a really good chance for me to connect with the community and realize that this was kind of happening to like almost everyone I knew in similar situations. So just having that support from my whole community, online community, my family, um, I don't know what I would do without that. So. I like have have known that my mom has gone through like a lot of 
similar stuff or like horrible things in the past. And so I thought that she was going to be someone who I could like finally open to up to because when I reported, I had also had previous experiences and that turned out actually to be the opposite. Um, and so my family like wasn't there for me at all when I had first reported. My mom like turned around a few months in and was like, I'm sorry that I haven't talked to you about this. I'm sorry that I haven't like done anything for you. And she's more supportive now, but still not in like the ways that I would like her to be. But my friends were there for me, like people at the Women and Gender Advocacy Center, fellow survivors that I know, like my roommates and my friends were my huge support system. And that was still hard because like having it pushed back so many times, like it would still hit me really hard. But like my roommates and like friends that I have who aren't survivors wouldn't really see that or like be aware of it. And so I felt like I had to like ask for support or like kind of be drowning before like they would realize that like I needed them each and every time that it got pushed back or I needed them more later on than I like I need them all the time I need them you know for probably lots of years to come and not just like right after it had happened so it's like delicate relationships I feel like any last things that you want to share with anyone listening to the podcast, whether or not it's survivors or support people or law enforcement officers, anyone, really? Like, this is your time to share any last thoughts that you have. Um, I think there's this big misconception in the media that we, like, somehow get something out of reporting. Um I think especially like when it comes to like high profile cases that have been happening a lot with like hashtag me too and like surrounding like athletes, actors and other people within like entertainment. Um, I have never met a survivor that has gained anything out of um, reporting. I gained nothing out of reporting. Um, like most of the time our perpetrators do not get put in jail. Most of the time we get more traumatized. We get called no matter what age we are psychotic slutty liars like we we deal with a lot of trauma in order and I I want to like not speak for everyone here but from what I've heard like and including my own story we're just trying to protect other people like we're not trying and maybe seeking justice too like for what has happened to us but most of it I think comes from a drive of we don't want anyone to ever experience what we just experienced we don't want anyone to ever feel as violated as we were um but somehow that gets misconstrued that we're somehow getting something out of it when most of the time we're just getting more trauma more and more pain. Um, and I just, I just really want people to understand that. And maybe that'll come with, maybe that understanding will come with more change from law enforcement and from like people, you got to back people that have been traumatized and that have experienced a lot of pain. You can't back people just because their career might be lost, you know? Our lives are lost most of the time. I think, too, because um, there's so many people who won't believe you, and you see all these national debates happening with, like, people just saying disgusting things about survivors, automatically not believing people, um, just, like, yeah, just falling back onto, like, survivors are just slutty, psychotic liars. Um, and that really gets to you, too. And there were times that I was like, do I even know what I'm talking about? Am I crazy? Like did this actually even happen to me? Like, just like, I don't know. It's important to just have faith in yourself and to believe yourself too. And like surround yourself with people who believe you, because if you just hear over and over and over again, that you're wrong and that you're lying and that you don't remember, um, 
it, it can really get to you for sure. I just have this really strong urge to feel like I need to do more to make sure that the things that happen to me can't happen to other people. And uh, it's been a year since the trial now, and I've just tried to do so many things and just felt disappointed time after time. I tried to file a complaint against the officer right afterwards, and um, it's funny because the another police officer runs the police department, and they're basically saying that, oh, we investigated ourselves and we found nothing. So this whole system is just so corrupt and so ridiculous. I... Um, uh, I've just tried so many times to find ways of um, just making sure that police officers can't do this again. I've just been disappointed time after time. I've tried to contact different organizations, and, like, there's, like, 20 different organizations, and they're all, like, kind of similar, and it's just all this confusing mess, and they don't really talk to each other. And I remember I spent, like, a whole day on the phone one time just to end up back at the first place that I called. They just kind of pass you off and over and over again. And I'm just kind of, I just feel just really disappointed that I don't know what else to do. And But I feel like just talking about it and just getting it out there is one of the smallest things that you can do to make a little bit of change. And um, I don't know what I'm going to do, but I know that I want to help change some kind of laws and I really think one of the bigger things should be that it shouldn't take two years to go to trial we shouldn't have to suffer this long and have to be re-traumatized um so I think that's kind of one of the things I might want to focus on and there's a couple groups um organizations that might be able to help me with that but um this whole situation has just um really influenced me to help make the world a safer place to for women and um so i really hope i can help make some sort of change that's all for this episode of we believe you advocacy resources and healing around interpersonal trauma please remember that the wgac is here to provide support for all students 24 hours a day 365 days a year to reach an advocate, you can call 970-492-4242. If you have feedback, thoughts, comments, questions, or want to be interviewed for the podcast, please email the WGAC at colosate.edu. That's WGAC at C-O-L-O-S-T-A-T-E dot E-D-U. For more information about advocacy and the Women and Gender Advocacy Center, you can go to www wgac.colostate.edu. You can also find the WGAC on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. A big thank you to Xavier Hadley for creating the music used in this podcast and to our partnership with KCSU here at Colorado State University. For more KCSU content, go to kcsufm.com. Thank you so much for listening.